Hi, welcome back to The Verge Cast, a resource of vergenow.org for creative and innovative ministry leaders. I'm your host, Lisa Smith, the pastor and artistic director of Convergence, a creative community of faith in Alexandria, Virginia. And I hope that you've had a chance to take a listen to our podcast series, Gather 2019, where we've been exploring questions around the changing religious landscape and the way that millennials are changing the way that we gather. So our conversations have uh, gone over a a wide range of topics, everything from the way that uh, Gen Z is gathering online, the possibilities for gathering uh, for technology to bring people together, um, also to even just the idea of having a living room gatherings around classical music to the way that art can be a tool for developing language and um, and a kind of a, a, a shared sense of purpose and community. So this conversation is is pretty broad and we're talking to a lot of people from different perspectives and different life expe- uh, experiences but the themes seem to kind of intersect and i'm finding lots of um i find myself taking notes and uh, a lot of different ideas and um, generating i don't know more questions so i hope that you will take a listen at the virgenow.org website and uh, let us know what you think and give us your questions and also the ways that you're starting to process this maybe in your own com- your own congregation and so we are continuing this conversation today with my good friend brian kirby who is the senior director uh, for community life at Community Church in Ashburn, Virginia. So welcome, Brian. Thank you for being here. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. Sure. And Brian and I have known each other for a very long time, um, yes. back to our seminary days and mm-hmm. early ministry days in, yes. in churches. And we've kind of circled around each other in lots of different paths over the years. And then... I don't know, maybe six years ago or so, Brian came back Mm -hmm. into my life and into the life of Convergence when you were working on your Doctor of Ministry at Wesley in um, Theology and the Arts, Mm -hmm. and specifically on the Teze community in France. And my understanding is part of your project was to um, develop some Teze experiences in local congregations yes. to kind of use that as an experiment to see what that would look like. And you approached us and we said, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> and I was thrilled that you did. <laughs> yeah, it was it was perfect timing because I think we were at a point of having a thirst for ritual and finding ways to incorporate music into what we did. We were kind of moving into that space of wanting that kind of worship experience. Mm-hmm. So the Teze format was a really good fit for us. And and this project is really kind of uh, looking at that structure and how we are, you know, maybe tweaking and playing with that and, and what room there is to be creative within that. Mm-hmm. So. So thank you for starting everything. (laughs) Well, and thanks for jumping on board in that project. Yeah. I I reached out first to friends, and luckily the circle allowed me to choose three very different churches, um, but all with connections to friends and people in my doctoral program. So that was was great. Well, it's been really good for us. It's, you know, after that initial trial period, we've continued to do it for X number of years, and it's become a really formational tool for us, really worship Mm -hmm. as spiritual formation. And I think that 
has set us down a path of looking deeper at classical spiritual disciplines exactly. um, to be aids in teaching people mm -hmm. how to pray and creating frameworks and structures within which we can inhabit so that it becomes a regular part of our lives. You know, mm -hmm. even just that silence, that 10 minutes of silence, mm -hmm. practicing that every day. I have seen an enormous change in us as a congregation, having experienced that on a regular basis. And that was part of what my project at Wesley was even trying to measure, is what, what does it look like to introduce local congregations to these disciplines around just simple songs, um, silence, mm -hmm. you know, being together corporately, and then to try to measure what does that impact look like yeah. over over the span of 10 months, yeah. you know, starting with people's need, uh, felt need, experience with silence, scripture, simple song in the beginning, and then 10 months later mm. to see what the impact was. And it was great to see that people overwhelmingly were thirsty for mm. more silence and for more yeah. of these kind of disciplines. Yeah. Well, so let's back up a little bit then yes. and talk about what what is Tese? What are we even talking about here, this Tese community yes. and Tese services? So Tese actually is a tese. small, beautiful tese. little Tese. <laughs> yes, everyone's like, what do you, how do you say it? Tese? Exactly. Tese. exactly. Everyone looks tese. at it and thinks that uh, it's pronounced differently, but Tese <laughs> uh, is a is a beautiful little village, actually. It's the name of a small village in Burgundy, in, mm. in France, in Bourgogne. And um, there was a Protestant, a Swiss Protestant, whose name was, now we call him Brother Roger. Mm. Uh, and uh, Brother Roger came from Switzerland um, just at the beginning or just before World War II. And he found this beautiful village and bought this farmhouse and imagined that he would develop a community there of um, brothers who would want to live their lives around um, service, silence, um, writing, and over time developing even the arts. Mm. And he began, um, he lived there alone initially, he began to house um, people who were fleeing occupied France, mm. in particular um, Jewish people. And so he was helping them get to Switzerland and out of France, and um, he was denounced. He fled back to Switzerland and then came back uh, with six others. And so the seven of them were really the founding mm. brothers together of the order. And in the beginning, it was just a community like many other faith communities. Interestingly enough, however, um, it was all Protestant because mm -hmm. he felt yeah, he was unique. a reformed Protestant. And he felt that um, Protestant communities had sort of thrown out the baby with the bathwater in a sense in this sort of rejection of Catholic communities, of monasteries and religious orders. But he said, you know, we Protestants also need communities of, of people who want to live simple lives around mm. service and, and prayer and reading and writing. And so he developed it in, initially out of that. And it was only in the 1960s that suddenly, for reasons that no one can quite understand, suddenly young people began coming mm. in larger and larger numbers um, to worship with these brothers. And their three prayer services a day are really centered around um, reading scripture in lots of different languages, depending on who's represented there. 
in the in the congregation that day and in the place of uh, well and then the songs are often sung in lots of different languages as well very mm. simple eight bar often refrains um, that they developed as sort of a style of music that they worked with Jacques Berthier, a French composer, but really sort of developed this style of just scripture, simple song. And then in the place of a sermon, just seven, eight, nine minutes of just silence. Mm. And somehow that silence began to really draw other people, mm. especially young people. Brother Roger really had a heart for people who were sort of under 30, so mm. in a sort of European sense of youth. Yeah. And so it began that they just started flowing into this mm. tiny village, so much so that they had built a church, there was a church there, and they had to knock out the entire back wall of it one year for Easter, Wow! a painful process for them mm. because they'd built this beautiful church, but they decided it wasn't going to be large enough. And for many years, there was a circus tent, literally, <laughs> as a kind of annex to the permanent wow. structure just to allow so many people co to come together and experience it. So <laughs> even now, today, they each year, these hundred or so brothers of Teze host more than 100,000 people wow. in the tiniest little village still in Burgundy. And um, their approach is that they've not built these massive structures. It's very low-key. It's very mm. sensitive. They're very sensitive to their footprint mm. in the community. And so most people there are um, coming to to camp, they bring their tents, they're staying in hostels, or they're staying in maybe a hotel in nearby Cluny, uh -huh. uh, which is not far away. But still, it's this sort of very interesting, very eclectic experience um, in weeks of the summer, especially whether it's Easter or in July and August, they have upwards of 5,000 people wow. there and gathering <clears throat> around these three prayers a day, and then the day is punctuated with other offerings around the arts. Um, I remember going to a beautiful workshop where one of the brothers had taken different photos of people to show the impact of war. Mm. So it was soldiers before they had gone to war and soldiers afterwards. Oh, and just through photography to sensitize us to violence in the world and and so there's a, a very interesting creative community mm -hmm. that I think um, Brother Roger really wanted to develop. <laughs> he challenged the brothers. In fact, there's a potter there who's become world-renowned. And his pottery started with Brother Roger saying, hey, we have these children that we're hosting, and I want you to create something with them. Oh, wow. So I want you to figure it out. And <gasps> the brother was like, I don't know anything about pottery. And and Brother Roger just said, I think you'll figure it out. <laughs> but from that developed this practice and their music is world renowned. Um, the, again, the pottery, the artwork. Mm -hmm. So the community itself really thrives and exists uh, based on their artistic mm -hmm. production. So when I think about my own doctoral study was why are so many young people coming? Right to Teze, what is the experience like for everyone, uh, and why do they keep coming back? Mm -hmm. And so I... Yeah, so what did you find? Well, it was interesting because 
I think I underestimated how difficult the task was going to be. <laughs> so I developed surveys in、uh, French, English, and German. And I would go into these groups of people. So, were you at Tez? This、so、was at Tez. Yeah. So, I've been there five or six times. I wrote the brothers to say, hey, I have this interest in this project. I want to study you、mm-hmm. and try to articulate your own theology of aesthetics. Right. And Because I, I just <clears throat> want to interject that, that you're talking about the arts, the, the aesthetic. The attention to aesthetics in that worship space、mm-hmm. is really unparalleled, in my opinion.、Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, outside of kind of classical or、mm-hmm. Gothic structures,、mm-hmm. um, even the attempts, I think, in contemporary worship services、mm-hmm. where a lot of attention, a lot of money,、mm-hmm. and a lot of attention、yes. is played, it's not just something thrown up. They, they have major illness, insulation、yes. type. Uh, uh, Visuals yes, in the front,、absolutely. but it's it is, I think, designed to evoke something、absolutely. very intentional. And it doesn't change a lot. I mean, there are changes, but they have a very there's a very specific thing that they're trying to do there, which is very impressive to me that、yes. they have thought about that so,、um, so deeply. Yes. And I think they do, particularly with the space, a really good job of being very sensitive to being ecumenical mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. Brother Roger. While he was a Protestant, it eventually other Catholic brothers joined. And so there are Protestants and Catholics within the brothers. They don't yet, I think, have any Orthodox brothers, but their、mm-hmm. hope is、mm-hmm. that one day there would.、Wow. And so they're sensitive to that to have、um, icons,、uh, blessed icons, even the moment、um, every morning of the communion. Is very sensitively done so、mm-hmm. that there is a blessed、um, host and Eucharist for Catholics, and then there's blessed bread for、uh-huh. uh, Orthodox Christians, and then there's a station for Protestants、mm-hmm. where the elements、um, have been prepared by a Protestant minister that morning before.、Wow. So it's this beautiful example of how. Different、uh, parts of Christianity can all coexist、yeah. in a beautiful space together.、Um, and I think the sensitivity, like you said, it's a very unusual space、mm-hmm. with very evocative colors like、mm-hmm. bright orange and sort of、yeah. a saffron orange. And at points, looking at the color, I thought, I feel like I could even be in a Buddhist monastery. Yep. yep. <laughs> having lived a couple of years in, in Bangkok and visiting many monasteries. There's something about the saffron orange.、Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this even feels like it could be a Buddhist temple、mm-hmm. in some ways. So they're so sensitive to where everyone is coming from,、mm-hmm. from all different sorts of walks of life from Christianity. And then I think there's such a sensitivity as well, which I think is really appealing and came out in the survey actually. Part of my survey work, people overwhelmingly were drawn by the silence.、Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that we、mm-hmm. imagine there's, there's a belief that the only way to get young people to attend a religious service is that it must be loud. It must be like a rock concert. It must、yeah. be this. It must be that. And yet, the research and the experience at Taizé flies really in the face of、mm-hmm. that and, and really reinforces what I have read in Barna studies and in others. About millennials, Gen Zs, and a return to spiritual disciplines. Yeah. That there was a movement in the 80s and 90s where, with contemporary worship, where 
we wanted on stage all of these kinds of effects and mm-hmm. drums and guitars that felt like they didn't have their place before. But it's interesting how it's come full cycle around to now Teze style worship services happen all over the world mm-hmm. and draw predominantly young people. So there at Teze in the survey work, the results were definitely the number one drawing factor was was the sense of silence, followed pretty well by um, the sense of, and, and this came across anecdotally as well, but people sensed that the brothers of Teze were ready to accept them wherever they are hmm. in their journey. Hmm. So by no sense could one imagine that everyone in the 100,000 plus who gather at Teze each year are Christians. Right. Many of them are on a journey that many would say is nowhere near the Orthodox Church, mm-hmm. the, the, the standard religious experience. Um, and I think it has a sort of um, Woodstock, mm-hmm. bohemian sort of feel with people camping and guitars and right. people singing around fires and that sort of thing. So the idea sometimes when I say to people, that these young people are going to a monastery in France. They just imagine these old Gothic structures <laughs> and people sitting in silence all day long. But instead, there's a lot of fun. There's a lot of interaction mm. around it. So it's both serious, and yet the brothers throughout the day are walking around dressed just like everyone else mm-hmm. and interacting with people Um hmm. They're amazing linguists. They seem to learn every language. So each wow. of the brothers speaks five or six languages and is speaking with young people. And, hmm. and But there's a sense of their welcome yeah. that I think is important. Yeah, I, I was just reading an article that was talking about the the way that they that the prayer was developed and the mm-hmm. way that the service was developed and there does just seem to be a, an extremely generous spirit in it absolutely that the the objective you know even the choices to make it so simple yes or to and to use psalms but only just one line of psalms yes. or or two you know mm-hmm. two just keep it very simple so that it's a way of it's an invitation to enter yes. into the language of scripture it's an invitation to enter into the community of faith the the larger community of faith with easily yes so you build familiarity with it you build yes. welcome with it and then our opening space for god to do something next yes but it's not about you need to become like us it's it's very generous that we have something to give and mm-hmm. share to you that that will be meaningful for you yes and i think that's really the spirit of again brother roger from the beginning because this decision to blow out the back wall of their church and put up a can you imagine tent, isn't that amazing? I mean, because it could just as easily have been, we'll tell people they can't come, tell yeah. them we're full, or yeah. we're doing it on a ticket basis or something. Yeah. But to alter the very structure of their church in a physical way speaks to a spiritual reality mm-hmm. of, we want to do everything we can to welcome people into this yeah. space and to meet God. I remember working with, in, in, my, um, in my study, working with the chief liturgist, uh, Brother Jean-Marie, who has taken a French name, but is actually an American. <laughs> and, um, and when I said to him, why is it that, because I was taking copious notes and timing everything and being very scientific about uh-huh. the whole experience. Uh, and he, I said, so why is it that the time of silence seems to be about seven or eight minutes like and i was expecting some 
theological reason around, you know, the number, <laughs> the number seven, seven. <laughs> you know, and all this sort of thing. And he looked at me so kindly and he said, well, we find it's about all that young people can handle mm. sitting on the floor mm. because everyone's sitting on the floor and not everyone's used to silence. And yeah. so we find seven or eight minutes is about right. Yeah. And I said, well, is one of you sitting there with a stopwatch, like timing uh-huh. this thing? And he laughed and he said, no, it really is much more of a, a movement of the spirit. Yeah. Like we've, we've been here in this long enough. Yeah. And it's actually even one of the tensions I found with um, helping local communities discover and, and plan a Taze worship or Taze style prayer for their community because many people, once they tasted the silence, wanted immediately to go to mm, 10, 12, mm-hmm. 15, 20, like yeah. our service is going to be. But to remind them of mm. that spirit of the Brothers of Teze to say, how can we make this accessible easily to everyone? Mm, that's a good, good reminder. Right. Yeah. Because we actually, I think we pushed ours to 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but that, I mean, I, I think that that kind of reminder over and over and over again is how are we, how are we being generous? How are we inviting yes. people in? Yes. Instead of thinking programmatically, mm-hmm. thinking within every single element of yes. what we do, how are we making space to invite a new yes. person into this? Mm-hmm. We'll have to take a we'll and to think even, about that again. Even their attention to music, because part of what I was looking at was because they write a great deal of the music that they use, often based off scripture mm-hmm. or some theological text. And when I said to him, well, what's the vetting process for these melodies? And he said, you know, we sing them all summer long. So like, you know, 10,000 people have sung this <laughs> thing. And if it's not easily singable, we don't keep it. Yeah. Because we want people to be able to enter into this space and not feel pushed away or that it's difficult. We want to do right. everything we can to meet people where they are. Yeah. And I think there's something that has out of that spirit really is the secret behind the attraction that they continue to have for people 30 and under. Now, Mm -hmm. of course, others like myself have been there who are not under 30 and they welcome, you know, everyone, but there is a real sense that their heart, their drive, their ministry has always been for the next Mm -hmm. generation, Mm -hmm. for the the group coming down the road and Mm -hmm. not being satisfied with just who's here now, but yeah. how can we be forward leaning to this next generation and what do they need? Mm. What are their needs and how do we meet those? Yeah. Um, they also do an interesting thing every year between Christmas and New Year, they do what they call a European gathering. Mm. So they choose a host city. They totally depend on volunteers in those cities. They send an away team of often Brother Stephen, who's very artistic, and a few others, and they work to create sacred Mm. space, um, sometimes out of uh, Congress halls or somehow, Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes very neutral spaces. In some cities, they use the churches, but typically in these European gatherings between Christmas and New Year's, there are about 15,000 people who will come together. The last one last year uh, was in Madrid, and this year it's going to be in Poland. Wow. But you can imagine 15,000 um, people under 30 yeah. mm-hmm. who are gathering into a city for 
five days or so of daily, you know, yeah. prayers and being together in a sense of community, which makes me wonder, you know, the drive around that yeah. is powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's surprising in a culture where, you know, in Europe, they say the church is dead already and it's dying here, supposedly. Yes, so how is that possible then, yeah. you know? And I think there's something about a sense of community and yeah. a sense of belonging and a sense of openness mm -hmm. and accessibility that even while it's, again, very simple structure, but there's an open hand toward people mm -hmm. wherever they are in that journey. And I think people who've visited Teze and have experienced that are so happy to mm. have the taste of that in those numbers mm -hmm. gathered in, 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 in an incredible environment in a, in a city in, mm -hmm. in Europe. Okay, so it sounds like there are a lot of different, there are some very specific elements of the way that they've crafted the service that touch people, but there's also just the spirit with which that's offered Absolutely. and what's created that is in some ways replicable for them in certain <clears throat> contexts. How has this played out when you've seen the, for the, the three ex, you know experiments that you did and maybe looking at other um, communities that have uh, either attempted or have a Teze service, how has that gone? And and where where have you seen the spirit captured? And and where do you see that not quite get off the ground in the same way? And why would you say that is? Yeah, that's the question. It's a great question <laughs> because it was very interesting. The three churches that were involved in the study I did were all very different churches who embraced it in very different ways. Two of the three, now six years later, are still doing it. Oh, wow. Still having a monthly um, Teze prayer. Interesting to see how each, as I said, it sort of embraced it. I think here at Convergence, you all, it feels like, made it a huge part of your DNA, mm -hmm. who you are, um, and, and what you want people to experience. And I think in some ways it's not surprising because the nature of your community is a sort of wide circle mm. of meeting people where they are. And not that that's mm -hmm. uh, any reflection on the other communities, but I think especially here at Convergence, that sense of open welcome mm -hmm. that I know I have seen and experienced very easily goes with this this idea of Teze. Right. I think I've seen in some places um, where churches said, well, this is going to be one of a hundred things we do, mm -hmm. show up if you're interested. Of course, it has a certain level of success. Right. Um, but for others like yours, where this is your third Sunday, mm -hmm. third Sunday? Second, second Sunday. Second Sunday. Yeah. It is your second mm -hmm. Sunday of the month ritual. It is who you are. And people know there's consistency there. I think it's really helped. Yeah. I think also in looking at it across the world, there are communities who do Teze services where they're using a CD or they're using recorded mm -hmm. music. But mm -hmm. I think what works so well for you all here and in other locations I've seen is the ability to have some musicians mm -hmm. who are really interested in being led by the spirit to mm -hmm. say, how many times are we going to sing this? Yeah. You know, yeah. I will get that question sometimes. Well, how many, how many times should we sing these refrains? What does mm -hmm. it look like at Teze? And 
like, gosh, sometimes they sing the same refrain 30 times. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes it's 10. And yeah. it's the sense of being open to the spirit. Yeah. I know I attended a Teze service once uh, down in Washington, D.C., and I spoke with the pianist afterwards because I'd noticed a sort of mechanical feeling to what was happening. And he didn't seem to understand the spirit maybe around <laughs> it. And he said, they just told me to play each, each one six times. <laughs> and I thought, well, that kind of came across. It sort of <laughs> felt like yeah. it felt mechanical. Yeah, well, I think there's something about the Teze music that that has made has been helpful for me in thinking about mm -hmm. what is the purpose of music and singing in worship. Yes. Because I've definitely been in that conversation about worship wars mm -hmm. um, between yes. hymns and um, contemporary music. And I love Teze because it's sort of its own thing. thing. So no, exactly. it's nobody's preference. Yes. So we can all just agree on that. It's something yes. totally foreign for everybody. Mm -hmm. So we can just enjoy that. But it so it it, it then becomes not like the classical music I'm used to listening to or mm -hmm. my, you know, the what I listen to in my grandmother's church or what I hear on the radio. Mm -hmm. It's music for Teze. Yes. So it's set aside mm -hmm. music that evokes something, but also that that repetition. Yes. I really like it when we get to the point where I'm kind of like, okay, that was enough for me. I'm done. Mm -hmm. And we still sing it five more times. Yes. Because at that point, I know the words, I'm mm -hmm. not even thinking the words anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm just sort of singing them and uh, and it i think that is where it starts to become prayer yes absolutely and i'm carried away by it and mm -hmm. it's god i'm speaking to god god speaking mm -hmm. so it's just it does something that i don't think you get in other forms of of uh worship singing i think you're exactly right and i often think of um saint augustine who said that singing is praying twice. Hmm. And I think that's true because you're praying with the words, but somehow the music mm -hmm. is also praying through yeah. us and in us. You know, I often think in those Teze services or prayers that the music to me is so much like the work of the Holy Spirit, that it's hmm. kind of beyond words and I'm feeling it and I'm experiencing it and I'm singing, but there's something more powerful than just the words I'm saying. Yeah. And that I think we've lost that since, you know, in some religious traditions, there is the sense of a mantra, of meditation, mm. of repetition. And I think for a long time, Protestant communities have been afraid of those kinds of words, right. afraid of meditation, afraid of a mantra, afraid of, you know, because it's somehow connected to Eastern religion or right. something that wasn't our tradition. So we don't have that rich a history in a Protestant sense, or at least in the churches I've been close to, to have that idea of I'm going to repeat this over and mm. over and over and allow my soul mm -hmm. to just drink it in and imbibe it and repeat it. And yeah. like you said, where I'm not even, something's happening beyond the words, mm -hmm. that there's something happening in me and in my spirit mm -hmm. that I just that I know the words and yet I'm not as focused mm -hmm. on them. God is speaking to me yeah. as I'm singing. Yeah. Well, you know, in that conversation that uh, we had with our congregation and you were there a part of it with a study group, we were reading the How We Gather reports and coming up with these questions that mm -hmm. we wanted to talk about. Yes. And one of the questions kind of circled around community and is mm. something like a contemplative service really moving us towards soulful community. If people are looking for community, mm -hmm. is that really happening in a space like Teze where mm -hmm. 
we're not talking to each other. We're not actively engaging each other. And and I'm thinking specifically when you're talking about the singing, I, I there is something about you know like with the singing when you're going on beyond where it, mm-hmm. that, that's good for me that I'm I'm participating in prayer with and for the mm-hmm. other people in the space. Like I'm very aware yes. of everybody else in the room and the level of, I, I can feel it kind of almost click in even after we do communion, mm-hmm. something happens, boom, like it takes that long mm-hmm. for everybody to fully arrive in the space. And and in that singing of like sometimes taking a break and listening or, mm-hmm. you know, so they're filling me up and sometimes and mm-hmm. holding me. And then there are other times when I'm singing that I may be holding somebody else and, and sharing these words of prayer it's a different kind of way looking at community. And you were kind of speaking about that a little bit at that um, meeting. What, what do you think about all that? Absolutely. It's interesting because I would describe a Teze prayer experience as both an individual and corporate experience. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes when I would present my results or I would talk to groups about the power of silence, People would say, well, I can be in silence by myself. I can mm-hmm. be at home right. by myself. I can be reading at home. I can be praying at home. And yet, we know that there's something really powerful when people gather together. Mm-hmm. You know, praying by myself at home is not the same thing as being in a circle of people who are praying and to hear them pray for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in the same sense, there is an individualistic aspect of a Teze prayer where you could come in, sing, leave, and feel like this was all for me. Mm-hmm. And I know that in some communities, when people had faced, let's say, a death in their family mm-hmm. or going through a very difficult time, and they didn't want to come to church where it was going to be the happy, smiley, handshaking, mm-hmm. everybody's great, mm-hmm. but they're in a in a moment of, of lamentation. They're just in a moment right. of sadness. But for those people, coming to a Teze service was easy mm-hmm. because there was no expectation to be anything other than who they were at that right. moment. Right. And like you said, I have experienced it myself where I have been really down about something really heavy. And I've just sat and listened and allowed everyone else's singing to wash over me and to hear scripture powerfully read and spoken and then just to let the Holy Spirit do something with it in my life. Yeah. Um, Often we Protestants sometimes think that unless there's a long sermon, an exegesis of the text, that somehow we're not going to get mm-hmm. something. And yet we know that the Word of God never returns returns void. In other words, mm-hmm. just reading it, the Holy Spirit does something with us in yeah. it, and, and we're confronted with its truth. Yeah. I think the other thing that makes a Teze service um, – in some ways, easy to invite people to who might be walking through something difficult um, or who aren't even sure about how they feel about the church mm-hmm. is quite honestly the lack of a sermon mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. be able to say to people, you know what, no one's going to be preaching at you. Right. It's going to be song, scripture read, silence, and then mm-hmm. God's going to do with that scripture and those words of those songs yeah. what God needs to do is both an invitation to experience something for me, myself, alone, but to experience it in the wider embrace of a community 
of people that I might not yet know. So there's this interesting sort of contrast between how individualistic it can feel, but how corporate at the same time. And I think that brings an easy and open invitation for people Mm -hmm. to be right where they are to walk into that space. Yeah. I I felt that the importance of that, even in us as leaders, Mm -hmm. and I talked to, um, the people who are leading either the readings or doing communion with me uh, and, and the music. I've often said, you know, we'll, we'll come and we'll kind of share with each other where we are. And sometimes, you know, all of us have days where we're like, I really didn't want to come tonight. Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm just not in that place. And and I always express my appreciation for their choosing to show up anyway and really don't ask them to hide that because mm-hmm. I feel like that there is an importance in that too. It, for us as leaders, not not that we get up and then share why it was a bad day, but that to to really conscientiously, it helps us to conscientiously make that space mm-hmm. for the spectrum of experience mm-hmm. and say that all of that is welcome in this space. You yes. know, God is big enough to handle all of that, is aware of, and and is holding all of that, and we can lift all of that up in mm-hmm. prayer. Um, yeah, it's a really special time. And I think giving one of the modifications that we made here that I was inspired by at a Tese service that happens at Lewinsville Presbyterian in um, McLean, where they've had a Tese service for more than 10 years. Mm-hmm. And in theirs, they had this moment for people just to speak out a prayer request and everyone respond mm-hmm. either by singing or saying, oh, Lord, hear our prayer. Yeah. But a kind of response at Tese because of the sheer numbers, of course, it doesn't happen mm. that way. There are the prayers of the people, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. are read in different languages by the right. brothers, and then everyone might respond with a sentence or a sung response. But I've liked that um, opportunity in a smaller gathering where people can feel safe to say, God, hear this pain, mm-hmm. hear this mm-hmm. struggle, hear this thing I'm walking through. Yeah. And that the community, who again might know them, might not know them, mm-hmm. has a sense of opportunity to validate that. Yeah. Lord, just hear this prayer. Yeah. Hear that person, God. Mm-hmm. And so we're lifting each other up to God in a way that, again, just feels really natural yeah. and really easy. And it's a way of teaching how to pray for one another. Absolutely. That it's not about fixing it or mm-hmm. even telling God what to do with mm-hmm. it, but yes. that it's okay to just say, this is, I'm just giving this exactly. to you. Yeah, it doesn't come down to a lot of advice giving yeah. or redirecting, but just to mm-hmm. say, to validate, wow, yeah. that's hard. Let's yeah. give that to God. God, yeah. hear our prayer. God, do something with that. Yeah. Um, I think, again, is part of the open, easy access mm-hmm. and invitation that that kind of prayer or a contemplative service yeah. gives people. Yeah. Well, what do you, I know, I mean, you've had experience in churches all over the world and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and informing kind of soulful community in, in a lot of different shapes, probably some very informal shapes as well. How, how do you, and I know that you're very involved still in, in France. Mm-hmm. How, how do you see, you know, this conversation that we're having about the way millennials think and are gathering and how that's changing mm-hmm. culture? What do you see happening and what, I mean, what's your advice for the church? <laughs> I mean, not so much. I, I, this is part of that. This is another one of those questions. I, I, I'm, 
I don't think we're necessarily saying how do we how do we capture them millennials and get them in our in our churches and not even so much like you know we gotta save the youngins, but there is this this sense in my opinion mm-hmm. that our culture is shifting in a way that is feeling very unmoored yes for everyone absolutely and and I think by addressing the needs that are rising to the surface um, from millennials because they're vocal about it. Um, it's just it's just part of our responsibility as a church. And also mm-hmm. there is, in, in my opinion, there's a sense where we have to acknowledge that clearly we're missing the mark on some things if mm-hmm. we're this disconnected with mm-hmm. a group of people who seem to be so spiritually hungry Yes. Um, so that's part of our our questioning is how do we bridge that gap? I mean, do you see that spiritual hunger there? Do you what when you when you look and you listen and you connect with these young people, what what do you hear and see and feel? It's interesting because I think there's so much about our society worldwide that connects us in ways that previous generations haven't mm. been so connected. Um I remember hearing a speaker just recently who said there's something very different about a grandmother in Poland and a grandmother in Africa and a grandmother Mm. in America because their generation was so different. Mm. But eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 15, 20-year-olds around the world are much more alike than they were previously because of the internet, because of phones in everyone's hand because that u.s movies are the world over Mm -hmm. and there's a shared there's much more of a common shared culture Mm -hmm. and so i think whereas 50 years ago it might have been very difficult to say well what do 20 somethings need in france versus america there would have been less commonality perhaps Mm -hmm. and of course everyone's still very individualistic and culture plays a part but i do think that there is, it seems to me, a global mistrust of institutions, Mm -hmm. a global mistrust of blindly giving our money and giving our fidelity and our hope and our faith to an institution because we have seen over the last 15 and 20 years how institutions, whether it was the financial crisis around 2007 and eight and nine, where people saw their retirement disappear Mm-hmm. And so young people were watching their parents, perhaps their grandparents, um, see everything they'd invested disappear to church scandals mm-hmm. um, that we know more about because media helps us know right. so much more. And so I think there is a sort of global mistrust by young people of these sort of institutional things and anything that feels sort of institutional. And so I think the challenge for the church as we think about what does it look like in the 21st century is that we have to be so much more intentional to be welcome and human and Mm. warm and caring and talk more about the life that God wants us all to Mm -hmm. have an experience and less about what we want from you. It has to be more of the language of what what God wants for you. Mm-hmm. It's not we're trying to sign you up to our program. We're not trying to push you into something. But this is what God wants for you. And yeah. look how much 
The story of the Bible is what God wants for us and not from us. Right. And I think traditional church movements and institutions have felt like they want my money, they want my time, Mm -hmm. they want this, they want that. But now I think there's a return to why would I... Why mm-hmm. would I invest there? I had an interesting conversation just this week with a woman who grew up Catholic, never been a part of any sort of Protestant evangelical church at all. And she said, which I thought was very telling, she's in her mid-20s, and she said, my husband and I were trying to decide. We wanted to have some time without our children. Mm. So we were either going to join a gym that had childcare <laughs> or try out a church. Wow. And I thought that wow. to me is quintessentially yeah. like the millennial look at life. Like we know what we want and need. Hmm. And for us, is that CrossFit? Is that a gym? Is that a church? Is that yeah. a service organization? Like where, which <laughs> of these things do we try? And they came to the church and felt like they really experienced community. Yeah, People were authentic with them and wanted change. And so I thought that right there to me is such a story of how we have to get it right, that it has to be about people meeting people, what God wants to do in your life and the story of change in your life. Well, that that just illustrates what I, what I am having a a little internal argument (laughs) with myself or with articles that I've written, uh, that I've read about um, what we're talking about is not accommodation. No. It's not about trying to make the church, quote unquote, relevant. It's mm-hmm. it's not none of those things which are which are bad or scary or it like watering anything down. Or, yeah, it's, yeah. It's the exact opposite. What we're talking <clears throat> about is cutting out anything that gets in the way mm-hmm. of the story of God. And yes. it has to be not even from the moment they walk in the door, but from the moment they look on your website. Yes. We need to be in that welcoming posture of mm-hmm. here's what, and up front in yes. a very authentic way, here's what God is about and here's what Absolutely. what life was meant to be about. Here's what God wants to give you. And mm-hmm. we're a community of people that are, you know, trying to live into that and help each other live into that mm-hmm. and, um, and cut out everything else. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think, <laughs> so counterintuitive to the yes. way that it's, you know, the, we've been doing church for mm-hmm. 20 or 30 years. Yes. Um, it seems very simple in some ways, but mm-hmm. I think it can be difficult to shut that part of mm-hmm. your brain off of what it's mm-hmm. supposed to look like yes. as church. Yes. And I think sometimes people make the mistake of thinking, well, young people, millennials, Gen Z, want to come to a place where no one's asking anything from them. Yeah. And I think actually it's not true because yeah. we see research shows that this is a, a a demographic of people who really want to invest. They want to change the world. They want to give of themselves. Right. And But to do that in an authentic way that doesn't feel programmatic, mm-hmm. but is calling people to a purpose, a God-given purpose, and to be able to join other people in that and yeah. give completely of themselves to something that really does change the world. Yeah, yeah. And doesn't feel like a hollow program from a dying institution. Yeah. Yeah. Which sounds inspiring and also very challenging. Yes. Could feel daunting. Yeah. But I think the challenge is for us to strip back layers of things that feel 
hollow mm. or maybe have run their course to let some things die mm-hmm. and to say, how can we take a fresh look at how are we impacting individuals, our community and our world? Yeah, yeah. That feels very biblical. It's mm-hmm. our Jerusalem, our, our Samaria and the end of the world. Mm-hmm. But it's also helping people see that God has a purpose for them, hope yeah. and and care for them. And I would say globally, when I look at people in this demographic who are coming to church, it's because they have found hope mm-hmm. on a very personal level. And they've been able to be a part of something which shares that hope with other people. Mm. That's That's it. That's really beautiful. Well, yeah, that's what we would hope that the that's church what we would hope. <laughs> is and will continue to try to be. Yeah, and what is needed—that's uh, the cry that's out there—is give us hope, give us hope. Yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experiences and insights. You're welcome. And thank you for sharing Teze with us. <laughs> well, you are welcome, and I'm glad to still be able to come and be a part of it sometimes here and in other yeah. places because I find it very life-giving for me as well, and yeah. I'm glad that the community here has found it to be so. Yeah, we have. Thank you. You're our, you're our Father Brian. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for letting me. Well, that sounds like a big title to wear. <laughs> but thanks for letting me experiment. And I think I love the idea of, of change, of experiment. And I think we have to be able to risk change, Yeah. to risk giving up some things and trying new things to mm-hmm. be able to reach out to the people around us. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you. You're welcome. And thank you so much for listening. And I hope this series of conversations is thought-provoking and as interesting as it is for me. I, I get so much hope and uh, and so many wonderful ideas just from from talking to people who are in these different contexts and exploring what God is doing in different ways and finding ways to integrate that into the work of God um, just in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. So I want you to be sure to go over to the vergenow.org website and catch up on the podcast series if you haven't already. You can also subscribe so that you get notifications about the newest things that are coming out, as well as the blog posts and former case studies that we have on the website, just lots of resources for you. And I would love to hear from you. As I said earlier, um, hearing your questions and your comments and knowing the ways that you're integrating and exploring, especially the use of arts in in Christian community and in worship is very inspiring for me and others. So you can send me an email at lsmith at ourconvergence.org and stay tuned for our next podcast. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.